Hello. Hi. Welcome to the Talk House Podcast. Happy January. Happy 2023. <laughs> We've crossed over. We are coming to you from the past into the future. <laughs> the other day, Janelle and I were talking about how Sometimes you come back from the holiday actually not rested because you're traveling, you're with family, you're triggered, you're trying to do a bunch of things, and then you relax, maybe you get sick, and then you start the new year and you're like, wait a second, this is not a new me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's not sometimes for me. That's every time. I always need a vacation after a vacation. <laughs> exactly. The amount of energy I exerted on vacation needs me to, to rest immediately. I also think there's that anticipation of coming back to work that mm-hmm. always feels a little energetically pulling where you're like, okay, I had a great vacation, but now I got to go back and do all these things. And like you immediately go back into one of going to rest and hibernate, hibernate mode. The other thing that I will say is to your point, it's winter. Like nobody wants to work in the winter. It's dead season. We're supposed to be like renewed and alive and happy, but it's like literally things are dying during this time. (laughs) Like our our nature is doing the opposite. So I think it's really counterintuitive what we've done for ourselves here. It's true. Last week on the pod, we were talking about what you turn towards in a moment of spiritual crisis or growth. And part of what we're doing this month on the podcast is speaking not only to that, but also what it means to be a squiggly brain, neurodivergent, creative, intuitive, entrepreneur, solopreneur, and speaking with different people about their diagnoses and how they run their businesses according to the self-knowledge that they've gained through their diagnoses. And today we have Pia Beck from Curate Welco on who is graciously sharing her experience about having OCD and running her business and what that's been like for her. So honestly, we're not going to ramble on too much because it's a long conversation and it's a fantastic conversation between the three of us. So we can't wait for you to listen. Yeah, just listen. Check it out. Yeah, it's so lovely to have you here with us on the 12th House Podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm really, really excited about having you in this conversation. And also just to like celebrate what you do at Curate Wellness Co. I really am excited to highlight some of your work. Thank you. Yeah, this month we are focusing on the podcast on talking about squiggly brains. Well, what we have called squiggly brains and different neurodivergent diagnoses or identifications. And I know that you had talked a little bit with Janelle previously about your OCD diagnosis. And I think right away when Janelle and I were talking about it, for us and for me personally, I was so inspiring to meet other entrepreneurs and business owners who are open to talk about their diagnoses and how they deal with them. So we're very excited to get into it. Yeah. I know this is the first time that I'm kind of talking about like the whole thing all at once. I've shared like bits and pieces. Oh, so we're getting the exclusive. You're getting the exclusive. I love it. How long ago did you start Curate Well Co? So let's see. I I guess like technically, officially, legally started the business in late 2018. I would say that it wasn't really until 2019 that it was like a thing. So I went full-time May 2019. So it's been about three years and some change. Almost four. That's awesome. And it's I feel like it's grown pretty 
exponentially very quickly. Yeah, we've seen pretty consistent year over year growth. We take a pretty, I would say, long term perspective. So we didn't have that kind of like viral overnight growth that I think you sometimes see in um, businesses that have like a strong online anchor. Um, And I'm super proud of of everything that we've done over the past three-ish years. And it also feels really cool to know that we're like kind of just getting started in a way too. I mean, we talk a lot about sustainability here and the idea that you should be able to work consistently at the pace that you're working at indefinitely. And I think when Mm -hmm. you say we didn't have that viral success, it's like, yeah, well, virality is not sustainable. At all. Totally. Yeah. 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 And have you known that you've had OCD for a long time? Was that something that you found out when you were younger? Yeah, good question. So I got my diagnosis about a year ago. Mm -hmm. Um, So very much in my adult life, I'm 28. I always have to think about that for a sec. Um, I'm... So yeah, <laughs> it's it's actually late for an OCD diagnosis. It usually happens a little bit earlier than that, and it can happen happen later. Um, looking back, I can like see obviously in my life all the mm-hmm. ways that it was manifesting and how it impacted my childhood and my adolescence and my teenage years and my like you know all of those things. Um, but I didn't know and. Um, So I've known for about a year. And even when I got the diagnosis, I was like caught super off guard, right? Like I went to a psychiatrist because I was struggling with some like feelings of depression and anxiety. And I'm like totally prepared for that conversation. And, you know, at the end of our time together, he was like, yeah, so you have OCD. And I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, that's not why I came here. (laughs) That's not not what's wrong with me. And so um, that was a really, I didn't really know anything about it. And then, um, but I kind of was like, okay, and did some research kind of following that meeting and like everything clicked. And I was like, oh yes, I like definitely have OCD. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you love that when you're like, oh, it all makes sense. Like It's not just like these disparate pieces of information about yourself that you're like, am I just, is something wrong with me? It's like, oh, no, no, no. That's just, it's a thing. Totally. It's, um, there's, there's a lot of stigma around OCD still. And it was like one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Like so freeing, so validating, so comforting in a lot of ways too, to like have, you know, something to, to name and, and to, hold on to and and learn about and explore and like make meaning of so many of those places where you're like why is is it just me am I the only one who like fill in the blank I also feel like people use OCD as a very casual term a hundred percent and I think sometimes also ADHD, I feel like that's more common, but people are always like, oh yeah, I'm just OCD about fill in the blank yep. or it's just my OCD tendencies. Totally. And I think I realized a few years ago when I had a friend who also was diagnosed, I was like, oh, I actually never use this term correctly. I didn't yeah. even know what it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. It's it's one of those things that I think people do kind of like throw around loosely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did too for a long time and like jokes on me. But I don't take offense to it so much. And I think now I have a new perspective on just like the lack of education that's out there on it, right? Because it yeah. took me so much of my life to like get that diagnosis because it's not talked about in the same way as a lot of other mental uh, challenges, illnesses, whatever you want to call it. So yes, I'm like noticing that a lot more now that people just kind of 
throw it around like that. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. um, yeah, and it's not something that makes me upset, but it's more so just kind of like a reminder of like, oh, there's like so much, there's so much like conversation left to, to have around this. Absolutely. I'm curious if you know, you know, I know that a lot of neurodivergencies are specifically, particularly for women, it's harder to diagnose, or I won't say it's harder to diagnose. They just haven't done as much work to, you know, with women all around in health. Do you, do you have any idea if, you know, being a woman or, or identifying or female identifying, if that had anything to do with the amount of time it took for you to get diagnosed with OCD? That's a really good question. I don't have any data on that, and it's not something I've explored, so I don't know for sure. Fair. Um, what I do know is that it's really common for it to take a long time to diagnose OCD. So mm-hmm. a couple of facts just for anyone who's who's listening to this who is realizing that they like maybe don't know that much about OCD. So it's the fourth most common mental disorder. Wow. Right? Uh, I have Which, no like, idea. I know, Um, which is shocking, right? Because it's not talked about. So depression, alcohol and substance misuse, social Mm. phobia, and then OCD. Whoa, mind blown. Sorry. (laughs) I'm shocked. Right. And it usually takes somewhere between like 14 and 17 years between the onset of symptoms and being able to like get treatment for OCD. Yo, Um, I'm I'm shocked. This is insane. Yeah. So it's like awareness and education and like access, right? Which is true mm-hmm. of, you know, a yeah. lot of things, unfortunately. But I would say like awareness and, and education are really big factors. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's a correlation with mm. gender identity. What mm. I do know is just like for the condition as a whole, it's really, really common for people to go undiagnosed for a long time. Mm. There's also a lot of like shame wrapped up mm-hmm. in the experience of OCD, which factors into that. And I think that, you know, people just don't don't know a lot about it, right? It's really misrepresented in the media, um, at least in part. And so the WHO actually ranks OCD as one of the 10 most handicapping conditions of any kind, including physical disease, right? So, you know, you hear a lot about ADD, ADHD, anxiety, depression, um, like these things have become so much more normalized in our culture, Mm -hmm. especially over the last couple of years, which is fantastic. And then there's, you know, a whole other subset of experiences that people are having that, you know, just kind of like didn't make it into that, like, these are things we talk about now. And OCD is is one of them. And a lot of the, let's call it uh, conditions that have a lot of like research and money and publicity behind them aren't on that top 10. And OCD is. I wonder why that is. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Like what, like what, I guess, agenda is tied to those other, that's what I go to immediately is like, who's making money, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Someone, I'm sure. And I think that, you know, it's partially just, just stigma. Mm -hmm. Mm, Yeah. I think it's partially stigma. And I think it's partially the fact that, you know, a lot of people don't know. And if they do know, they don't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, even just that, to your point, the education piece around it, where if it takes 17 years on average to diagnose it, it's like, okay, well, clearly, we also don't know what the signs are, both 
totally. ourselves and then even on the medical side, treatment side. Yeah, because yeah. I imagine, I mean, again, I feel like my exposure to obsessive compulsive disorder is only through television. Yeah. And so I feel like I have a very finite idea when I think about what that looks like of what that yeah. is. And I'm sure that there are millions of ways that that can manifest that I have no idea. Yeah. So there's there's a couple main types of OCD. So there's checking and um, which also looks like repeating, right? So one of the things that you see in the media all the time is like someone flipping a light switch, right? They're like, mm. I have to flip this light switch, you know, 30 times or whatever. Mm. Like that is one type of OCD. Or, um, you know, if someone, um, you know, has to like, they're leaving their house and they're getting into the car and they're like, oh, I have to make sure I didn't leave the oven on, right? And they go in and check, but they have to go in and check more than once, like multiple yeah. times until, you know, they feel like they can actually leave. So mm-hmm. checking and repeating is kind of one category. Um, contamination is another type of OCD. So this is also a lot of the time what you see in the media, right? Yeah. People who are you know, washing their hands. Exactly. So those are, those are kind of like the two types that you see. And then there's order and symmetry, which mm-hmm. I think sometimes you see, but it's usually in like a very extreme representation versus like what it actually kind of looks like day to day. Mm. And then there's a type that's just intrusive thoughts. Um, and that's never oh. represented. Wow. What can you explain a little bit? I'm sorry. I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know anything about that. Like what does that yeah, look totally. like? So, um, so the type of, so I, I, primarily have intrusive thoughts OCD with like a little bit of order and symmetry thrown in. Um, and so really what it, it means is, um, just like a pretty extreme, like lack of control of, of Mm. your thoughts, right? It's literally just like unwanted thoughts, fears, et cetera, that like you can't let go of. Right. Mm. So for example, for me, that manifests as like worry and anxiety. Um, and a lot of the time, like growing up in my life, I had so many people tell me like, just let it go. And it's Mm. like, I literally can't. Yeah. Right. It's not that I don't want to. Right. I know. (laughs) Exactly. Just let it go. Okay. (laughs) I mean, this was, you know, however, 20, 30 years ago, right. When like there wasn't, you know, a helpful supportive dialogue around like mental (laughs) experiences. Um, but it was like, oh, you're, you're like, stop and smell the roses. Right. Or like, Mm. oh, you're so rigid or just let it go or whatever. And it's just like, and you know, I always just felt like like you think I don't want to like yeah. do you think it's fun to like be like latched on to this thought that like you can tell is like distressing for me like imagine how distressing that is for me right but it's just like it's just there and like totally. you you seek ways to find relief from mm. that um but unsuccessfully right that's the whole part of, of OCD is that it's it's chronic, right? So you might get short-term relief, you might get momentary relief, but it's, you know, you can't go for a walk and like, you know, not have wow. that thought anymore. Right. I mean, I really have not, I have not heard about that component of OCD. And that feels like, I mean, it all honestly seems like it could be very debilitating, but I feel like something that is so internal would just feel so frustrating to have to navigate on a consistent basis until you figure out, I guess, how to figure it out. But it, I mean, it's just, it's surprising to me that it isn't talked about and that it's the fourth most, you said it's like the fourth most like there, like mental illness. What is it? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Fourth most common mental disorder. Mm-hmm. 
also imagine with our culture that is so productivity and work obsessed as it relates to your value as a human being, that it's very hard to talk about something like intrusive thoughts that are hard to understand, maybe hard to study, and then hard to provide, you know, consistent treatment because it must be so individual and Mm -hmm. contextual. And then it rubs against our culture that is like, just carry on. Yeah, just suck it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. So suck it up was like a huge narrative growing up Mm -hmm. in my childhood, right? Like that's how I was, I was raised in, you know, the Midwest where there's like a very strong culture around like hard work and like doing the right thing. Um, And so, and, you know, my parents really wanted to raise me to be like an independent person, right? And resilient and like all of these things. And so there was like this huge conversation of like, just suck it up. And sometimes that was explicit, like, right, like with those words and other times it, it wasn't. But I think that was a huge part too of why I downplayed like this internal experience that I was having, Ooh. right? Where it's like, oh, just suck it up. It's like, yeah, these are just thoughts, right? I just like suck it up and and move on. So totally, totally that. I'm curious, was there any point, Pia, where you were having these experiences and you questioned whether or not there was something larger going on before? I mean, like when you were younger, I guess, before mm. you, you know, you got you got to the diagnosis or got to a place where you were seeing a doctor maybe, or was there any point where you were like, this might not be me? Or did you feel like there was something wrong with you? Totally. I would say for like most of my like conscious life, right? Like since I was like a toddler, I always, I think like sensed that I was like experiencing something different than the people around me. And, you know, OCD is like very isolating, right? Because like there's this whole internal dialogue and like set of activities that are like closely Mm -hmm. linked to that, that are like taking over one of the lenses through which you view the world that other people Mm. aren't even aware of. And so there was always this sense of like difference and a sense of like, like divide almost and like Mm. a loneliness um, that I felt my entire life. And I think I went through like different phases of thinking like, is there something wrong with me or like what it like, is this just part of, is this just like who I am? And like, Mm -hmm. I am just, you know, different than some of these people or, you know, whatever. It was always there. And I think it just like, I named it differently in different Mm -hmm. phases of my life. And I think that going back to what you were saying about gender identities, I think like as a, a, a woman identifying person, I like took the responsibility of that. Yeah, in a, right. like growing up, right? Of I was course. like, okay, so like I I do feel different and like that's on me, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm doing something or mm-hmm. I'm, you know, the one who's in charge of like managing this as it relates to like everything around me. Yeah. So, yes. In a sense, still kind of making yourself wrong, right? Like oh, totally. even though there's like a detachment Definitely. from it that's like, yeah, it's my responsibility, so I have the authority over it, but because it's not going right, I'm wrong and I'm doing it wrong. I'm sorry, I hundred percent. hundred percent. No, no, no. That's I mean, a lot of what I've unpacked in therapy and a lot of my adult life is this like this feeling of like being wrong, right? Yeah. Or like I'm a bad person or and I think that's that's a huge part of it, right? Is like the yeah. sense of like, oh yeah, like I'm 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 experiencing the world differently than the people around me. And so by default, that's less or wrong or bad or whatever. So hugely that. But it's really interesting, like going back to one of the points that you made earlier of like, you know, people don't know the signs. 
I think it really is like an awareness thing because now I look back and I'm like, all the signs were there, right? Like mm. now I can totally see them, but I didn't see them. My parents didn't see them. The people in my life didn't see them. And so, and I think it can manifest differently for every person, but there's also some like really obvious things. So like, for example, there's this picture of me, I'm like maybe three and I'm like sitting in my bed and I had lined up all of my stuffed animals in like size order. And like, I'm at the end. So like beanie baby, like all the way over on one side and like three-year-old Pia, you know, like all the way on the other side. And there's like 30 stuffed animals, like every stuffed animal I owned, like lined up, like sitting up against the wall, you know, like we do and like in size order. And my parents obviously thought it was like funny and cute and like weird enough to like take a picture of it. But there was Mm -hmm. no thought of like, hmm, why did she do that? (laughs) Right. Or like, what is like, what is going on here? Like kids don't line up their stuffed animals in size order when they're three years old, right? They don't even like put them away. And then, you know, in, in high school, I like had some disordered eating, which was, I think, you know, like me looking for like some way to like feel a sense of control Control, when a lot of my thoughts like weren't in my control and high school and college, like overconsumption of alcohol, like trying to like feel that like numbness and like escape and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I had like that whole rebellious teenage phase with my parents where they were like, what are you doing? Right. Cause I was like (laughs) partying and making terrible decisions and all of this. And, and yet there was not ever a discussion of like, why? Why yeah. are you doing this? Why totally. do you feel like you want to mm-hmm. go out and like drink to the point of like, you know, not- obliteration? Exactly. Right. Obliteration. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that totally. was just like, that was, it was an escape. It was just like yeah. not thinking and feeling the things that I was thinking and feeling, but that wasn't yeah. part of the discussion, right? It was like, yeah. why are you doing this? Like you are smart yeah. and you are, you know, you know better than this. Like, why are you doing this? And I was kind of just like, I'm just doing it. <laughs> it feels great. Yeah. So I think that there's, um, I don't know exactly what the signs look like, you know, across lots of people. And, and, and I can say with some degree of certainty that I think that there is a need for awareness on what that could be. Totally. Yeah. I, I mean, you saying that really makes me wonder and feel in my heart. I think I'm just thinking about the amount of people who have gone undiagnosed who are probably dealing with yeah. substance abuse right now. Yeah. Um, and totally. not understanding why, which is yep. like really heartbreaking to think about. Well, and I think with certain things like ADHD, I've heard from so many people and I'll include myself in this, like not getting a diagnosis until really late because it, it was like, well, you did fine in school. Right. Like, you're totally. capable. Right. You figured it out. You're fine. And it's like, well, I figured it out at like a huge cost to your sanity overall honestly yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. and the the work that um gabor mate has done around adhd i think is really interesting he's a psychologist and therapist who works out of vancouver bc but one of the things that i took as a big takeaway from him was that a lot of adhd diagnoses can be related to a child not having the presence of the parent, the emotional presence. So it doesn't matter if your parent is physically there, but if they can't be emotionally there for you because they're dealing with their own stuff and usually a cocktail of mental health issues themselves, that you're seeking constant stimulation from other sources and dopamine hits Mm. because you have come to know you can't rely on certain things for it. And then that cycle continues and it changes and it adapts to different patterns. And I like, 
just feel so much compassion for like younger me and all everyone I know who has different diagnoses that relate to this, where it's like, we're all just trying to find ways to cope and make new systems for ourselves that will work. So you lining up your stuffed animals and beanie babies, maybe you were like, okay, these beanie babies are supposed to be worth something. <laughs> One day. <laughs> we all thought that. We did think point. so, didn't we? Yeah. Right? We, we thought, thought holding on to those million dollar beanie babies. <laughs> but, but maybe you're also, to your point, like you already said, like you were trying to find some sense of order in like yeah. a very internally chaotic you know, situation. Totally. Do you do you feel like before your diagnosis, you like look back on things that you've done to like cope and you're mm. like, well, that system I kind of made up for myself and it actually kind of works. And now my super. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. I love this question. So um, everything in my life matches. I live a like monochrome life. Yeah, sexy. <laughs> and yeah, and, and I love it. It like genuinely like brings me joy. And I've been able to recognize that it's totally a system of like feeling a sense of like calm and ease. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because, you know, it's just it muted, but in like a, not like a, a bad way, but more so in like a, there's no distractions. Right. So like, and I'm talking like everything. So everything from like my wardrobe to the way my home is decorated to my Google calendar to, you know, the things that I buy, like I, everything is in like a neutral color palette. And I totally just like made that system up for myself, like somewhere mm. along, the way. along the way. And and now that I am like more aware of that, I'm like, I actually like really love this though. Like yeah, I do. I, yeah. like, I walk into my home and I'm just like, oh, so like clean and simple and yeah. open and and consistent. And There's consistent. like a reliable and right. totally. you have to make less choices, use less of your energy trying to make 100%. those decisions. Yep. Which is also interesting because you think about the way that people talk about it with Steve Jobs and his uniform. And sometimes we look at it in other areas of our life and we're like, you have a problem. Well, maybe we're all just trying to figure out these little ways. Right. Totally. Well, and yeah. I mean, if, if Steve Jobs hadn't turned into Steve Jobs, people would think he had a pro- had a problem. Exactly. You know, it's, That's it's such, right. a such a good point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Right. It just like it worked for him. Right. And so he's idolized. And exactly. to your point, like there's probably a lot of people out there who are struggling with substance abuse mm-hmm. who like couldn't find a system that worked mm. for them or who, you know, didn't channel, didn't find a way to channel whatever they had going on into something that was recognized by other people. Right. Mm. So I mean, it could go both ways so easily um, and so quickly. I I think that's so lovely to also look at it and be like, I love this system in my life. It like makes things easier. It makes me feel relaxed. And I absolutely am that way about like organizing in my house. I need everything to have a place. And I I don't think I'm compulsive about it, but I'm, I'm very focused on it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're like, but it's important. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I think that's maybe where some of like the gray area is. Right. Um, Cause like I, there's certain things that I feel that I have like compulsions around. Right. And like, that's not necessarily one of them. And though, like I do notice it and I do get distracted if there's like something that doesn't fit and I do find it hard to like let it go. Right. right. 
but also works so well for branding and everything that you do at Curate Wellco is clearly your brand. And you can tell there's so much intention, but it also doesn't feel like anything other than just like, wow, this is a very smart brand Mm -hmm. from the outside. Yeah. And there's, you know, challenges with that, right? Specifically, as I started like growing a team and it's been like kind of an ongoing dialogue with my team of like, you know, here are the things that are like up for discussion. And here are the things that, you know, for the integrity of like the vision and the experience that I really Mm want to provide and what we stand for as a company are the things that are like less up for discussion or not up for discussion at all. Yeah. You know, you started Curate Well Co. before your diagnosis, but then you had your diagnosis. And I'm curious, after kind of having more of an understanding of where you were at and what was going on with you, did it cause you to approach an, your, an aspect of your business differently than you had before? Did you find that you needed to navigate it differently before you kind of start to bring on your team? And then I'm curious about the team, how you're navigating that as well. Yeah, totally. So I started growing a team before, like years before my diagnosis. Okay, okay. And in retrospect, I can look back and be like, oh, (laughs) cool. Not a great manager to these people. And this is definitely (laughs) like part of why. Um, So, you know, it's a learning curve. It's it's, it's, to be a good manager. I mean, just in general, right? To like be a good manager, to be a good people leader is one of the hardest parts of growing a business. And then you throw in this kind of like intrinsic need to like feel control and it's just like a disaster waiting to happen. So um, lots of turnover for for like lots of reasons, right? Sometimes it wasn't the right fit. Sometimes it was like a hard skill thing. And sometimes it was totally me and the way I was showing up in that relationship that I didn't necessarily have control over or was even like aware of, but was totally Mm. a thing. Um. So I think that I don't really approach things super differently now with a diagnosis, but I do have more of an appreciation for the things that we do really well within the company because of the diagnosis. And I'm able to kind of like lean into that in a new way, right? So like, for example... Everything feels thought through. Mm -hmm. That's feedback that we get like very, very, very consistently, like so thorough, no stone unturned. Um, Like our clients are just like, I've never like felt this supported throughout like an entire process. That's the best feedback you could get, honestly. I'm like, you're doing that. You don't need to do anything else. I know. And it's just like, it makes me so happy to know that like people feel that way when, when they're, you know, interacting with me and my team and our brand and like all of those things. And I'm now able to recognize like, yeah, that's because I like literally can't like let that one last (laughs) detail go. Right. Like if I know that it's possible, I, we have to do it. Yeah. And so I think I have like more of an appreciation for that. Right. Like one of the things that I think is so common in entrepreneurship and especially with like social media being such a huge thing is this like comparison. Right. And like, what if this person Mm. does what I do or what if this person steals my my idea or what yep. if this person, whatever. Um, and I think that I've been able to really come to terms with the fact we've had that happen to us a lot. Right. Um, and it kind of comes with the territory, unfortunately, but I think I've gotten a lot more like, not like, okay with that, but just like accepting of it because I'm just like, literally 
like pathologically, you cannot do this the way that we do it. Right. Right. right? Like right. you're just, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to want to, A, because yeah. it's like right. a lot of work. And it's just, you know, so in some ways kind of just turning it into an advantage, not to say that it doesn't still come with challenges. Right. Sure. But I think I'm able to be like, cool. Like this is, I don't want to say like feeding the compulsion because like, yeah, that's not healthy for me. And also like I'm medicated now. And so it's a lot, you know, everything's like, like uh, softer by like mm. a degree of like 50. Um, yeah. But yeah. in some ways, just like honoring the compulsion, right? Of yeah. like, if I really like feel like I want to like do this yeah. thing, it's like, okay, let's, let's do it. Let's do that extra right. 10% yeah. that like a lot of other people don't feel like doing or think about doing or feel the need to do or want to do. And that gets to benefit our clients. Like that gets to benefit people. And yes. that feels really good to like almost use it for good. Yeah. You ch- you're channeling that energy. I mean, you're mm-hmm. really, you're giving that energy and those compulsions a place to work, which is beautiful. And also I think a really great point to make, because I think, you know, something can be said for all neurodivergencies in terms of like, you know, we as a, as a society, I think typically look at neurodivergencies or diagnosis, uh, mental diagnosis, mental health diagnosis as something that's like wrong, right? Or needs to be fixed. I think that's the general idea. Now you and I, we all know that that's not true, right? That there are absolutely superpowers and all of the things that are unique to us. Um, And so the fact that you were able to hone in on this for yourself and say, you know what? Yeah, obviously there's a, a shadow and a light side to this experience, but on the light side, I can really channel this and and put all of that energy towards the thing that I'm really passionate about that then feeds back into my community. Um, and I think any, I mean, we all can do that with you know our neurodivergencies and the things that make us unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think also there are people out there who are out there who are looking for that, right? It's like there are, there are specific clients out there who are looking for your thoroughness. Right, who are looking for those those people who totally. do just that extra step, and there may be people out there who don't need that, who don't want that, who may be bothered oh, yeah. by that. Right, those are the people who are going to come to you. But the people who want that, th- that you're their cup of tea. You know, they're they're going to yeah. love coming and working with you. And so, I just think it's really, I'm I'm glad that you said that. I think it's really important because I think a lot of the time, what happens on on both ends. One to your point about you know the comparison and and people doing the thing that you do or people stealing, but then also this idea of like being othered and being you know having this thing yeah. that a lot of people look at as bad. It's like it's it is really truly the, a thing that makes you unique and it's going to show up uniquely on you than it would another person. And that is what you can continue to utilize to build your business, to bring in clients, to work with customers. You know, um, I just think it's so important to to hit on that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I'm curious in your day-to-day and week-to-week life, what are the things that help set you up to feel like you can be at your kind of optimal, you know, space to run your business? And in that mix, do you use intuition to help guide you? Like what's your relationship with that in there? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, um, Totally. I am. uh, So one of the things that one of my mentors said to me once that I really like embraced and now like say to my team is logistics are a love language. Mm. 
And so I am a huge, like, I believe that like nothing can happen without a foundation of like really sexy logistics, right? Maybe if you like try really hard and the stars align and like everything works out for you, you get like a perfect outcome if it's like, you know, a shit show in the middle. And like I, one of my core values is ease. And so I'm like, cool, if we can set up logistics so that everything feels easeful and we still get to that outcome, like 11 times out of 10, please let's do that because yeah. I don't handle chaos super well, right? Like I am at, I'm, I have like, uh, have developed like, you know, conflict management skills such that like if something happens, I can like pause, ground, handle the situation, but I don't like to operate that way at all. Yeah. What is an example of your super sexy logistic systems? I'm like oh. taking notes. I'm like, what is one where you're like, you <laughs> nailed that? <laughs> let's see. I'll use an example. So we bring a lot of our clients here to Santa Barbara to work in person. Nice. And one of the things that we do when they come do that experience ahead of time is we have them fill out a form. Um, And we're asking them questions, like all the normal questions, right? But also questions like, do you have any food allergies? Um, Do you have any food preferences? Mm -hmm. Um, What do you typically like to snack on? What do you do when you're in a town you've never been in before to like get to know what it's like? What do you do when you're on vacation and you really want to relax? And so we've built in this form that has all of these questions so that when they get here, we've planned this experience that is just like completely custom to them. And it's not hard because they, you know they've, they've given us enough information for us to like make the choices that are like great right. for them right so for example some people find it super relaxing to like go on a bike ride mm-hmm. i'm not one of those people but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not checking yes on that box <laughs> and other people are like i love to like sit by the pool all day and it's like great so we're able to like kind of craft this experience for them that really makes it something that they enjoy and then they like go to leave and they're like this is amazing and we're like yeah we know <laughs> like we made it for you <laughs> so i think that's that's one thing that i'm really really proud of and then once that's in place then we can kind of you know it's very systematized yeah. but it's mm-hmm. also really high touch and really intentional yeah. and really thought through and i love that it's not like one or the other right like a lot of people talk about like scale in your business like how do we make this scale mm, yeah. and i think that sexy logistics are logistics that like are scalable right we're able to run those we could do you know have someone here every single week and it would run smoothly so it's scalable and it doesn't feel automated right it still feels personalized yep, and like yeah. it's got that touch yeah Yep. I think that one thing that you're hitting on, right, is like the the importance of routine, but like still having a sense or like a, in a route to flexibility, yep. you know? Yeah. So a couple of things, a couple of like sexy logistics, I think that really set me up for success. I keep all of my devices on do not disturb all the time. Okay. I get, can we I talk get no notification? I was going to yeah. So I was like, same. <laughs> can we talk about this? Because I people are annoyed with me that I do this. But I'm like, mm. I will be distracted all day. All yeah. the time. If, if I have time. anything, it doesn't matter yeah. what it is. It's like totally. Poshmark being like, join another spring party or something. I had to I had to leave it. Poshmark because oh, I was yeah. like, this is entirely overwhelming. <laughs> like death by notifications. Like I truly. Yeah. So that's been like life changing for me. And like I still am responsive. Like I still check things. I just like 
it was that was a that was a a really big kind of like symptom for me was that I wasn't yeah. able to like not check notifications right yeah. like obsession compulsion I had this like of compulsive course. need yeah. to like clear my notifications and so by just like not getting totally. them it empowers me with choice right yeah. I can choose when I want to look at them and I can choose not to look at them and I can you know all of all of that so yeah it brings the power back to you instead of obviously these things are designed with the yep. psychology in mind yeah exactly. Do you check your notifications like three times a day or do you no. just like, okay? No, because um, I do value communication. I do value responsiveness. I do value um, like workability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think mm-hmm. workability starts to break down sometimes when we're overboundaried. Not that having times that you check your notifications during the day is necessarily overboundaried. Um, but I've encountered a lot of people who, in my opinion, are a little bit overboundaried around things like um, access and communication and responsiveness and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, love this for you. And also, like, we are not able to execute on this project because you will not respond to me. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, like it, and that that drives like me. It's not necessarily realistic or sustainable. Ex- yeah. Exactly. I've never thought of the idea of being overboundaried is like a really interesting concept. Well, it's like the pendulum swing between extremes that we all do for totally. various forms of coping. And I think sometimes it's like finding out what is a center that is workable for me and then also the other people in my life. But I also when you're at the beginning of a lot of those stages, it, I think sometimes being overboundaried is one of the only things that feels safe at the beginning totally. of like a certain journey sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And if people are doing it, it's because they feel a need to do it. Right. right. So I'm not like discounting that at all. Right. We're all just like trying our best to like show up in this world that is like entirely fucked up. Right. So like everyone needs to do what they need to do. Yeah. Um, for me personally, I haven't found that having set times during the day when I check my notifications was like actually like doing anything for me. Mm. So I don't I don't have that. It's just like I I check them when I check them and I don't when I don't. And in the meantime, mm. I'm not getting like quirky sounds by that are like driving me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what y'all know about any of the other personality way of being like metrics there are, but I'm a manifester. Okay, I was literally just about to ask you this okay. question. <laughs> this I, can, I can give you all my all my labels. So I'm a manifester. So I think that that's another thing that like factors into this, right? Is I have really big energy, right? I have this like tidal wave energy where like I pull all the way back and then I come all the way forward. And um, I have a lot of like open centers. I'm really, really influenced mm, by other people's energy. Ooh, same. So if I don't have that time to like regulate myself, I'm just, I'm, I'm all, all over the place. It makes a lot of sense. And going back to um, your earlier question about intuition, I'm a very intuitive person. And I think that part of what fed into a lot of like my development of OCD was actually like ignoring that intuition. Interesting. Can you dive into that a little bit deeper? So I think that as a society, we have like a very like complicated relationship with intuition, right? We've got like people on one end of the spectrum that are like, intuition is like the word of Mm -hmm. everything. Like that is what I do no matter what. 
And then on the other end of the spectrum, we've got people who are like very like logical, practical facts, data, et cetera. And not only does like every individual person like exist somewhere on this spectrum, but as a society, I feel like depending on like the season or the day or like world events, we like swing from like one end to the other in a way that like favors whoever's in charge. Mm, yeah. So when I was growing, like I've, I've always been really intuitive, right? Which is wrapped up in like the manifestor pattern, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm like ego driven, right? So like I have that like that sense of self that just like gut knowing like, yep, this is it. And I do, I make really quick decisions. Um, I'm a fast processor. I'm able to feel things in my body pretty immediately and pretty clearly. And I think that a lot of the time when I was growing up, you know, I, I not only have this strong intuition, but I also have this like huge like horsepower behind it in that like manifestor way, right? Where like I would totally contract, right? And go in internal and and very like introspective and really like in my own thoughts and then kind of like emerge from that and be like, cool, I'm gonna do these 180 things in the next hour. Yeah. And yeah. they're gonna be great and they're <laughs> yeah. gonna be hugely successful. Bang, bang, boom. Exactly. And so I think that um I think that I stifled both of those things, my intuition and this kind of like big energy expansion and contraction um, to fit into kind of like, you know, the the normative majority code, right? Yeah. Like being like, hey, I kind of just want to like, you know, be by myself for the next like two weeks and then like emerge and like build a whole website. Like that's not <laughs> when you're like young and in school and, you know, your parents have like expectations of you and there's like society and whatever. That's like not a super easy thing to do. Um, and so I don't know like what's been studied around this. We do have one client who's a therapist who um, looks at the connection between human design and uh, like some mental disorders and um, she's told me a little bit about that, but it's not my area of expertise. Um, but That's so interesting. Yeah, but I think that that fed into it, right? Is like yeah. um, this need to like control and and stifle and um, try to minimize like these uh, obsessions. And then as a result, instead of like kind of riding those waves, right? Being okay with making a big decision just because it feels right and I just know, or being okay with the fact that like I need alone time and then I need to like create something instead of just like allowing those things to like allow me to operate the way I operate. I think that a lot of that energy got channeled into like compulsions, right? Yeah. Of like, oh, I'll just do this one thing instead because I get that like little like immediate like gratification immediate, right exactly totally. wow wow it makes me think of two things like especially the witch wound which we talk about oh, yeah. which is the idea of essentially in a nutshell but we have a few great episodes on it like being the fear of being too much and the fear of not being enough yeah and how that relates back to just like persecution of women you know mm -hmm. over a long period of time and then it makes me think of also how all of these meaning-making systems that we are attracted to or identify with or curious about to help us understand ourselves, it really makes me wonder about that being a path, especially for people who are neurodivergent and maybe don't have access or don't identify with certain modes of like Western psychology. And they're yeah. like, this doesn't really mm -hmm. work for me. This doesn't help me. Um, and how that there is 
definitely a Venn diagram there, mm, an yeah. overlapping of creative, intuitive, spiritual people yeah. who are attracted to these meaning-making systems. Definitely. What's something that you would whisper to your past self, maybe before you had the di- this diagnosis, maybe mm. when you were just starting your business or like knowing what you know now, what's something you would almost like gift to your past self in terms of like whispering in her ear? Mm. I think I would say your questions have answers. Ooh. You are, you are a quote queen. Okay. <laughs> Truly, I have written so many things down where I'm like, that is like, aha moment, Oprah, let's just do it. You know, we're here. (laughs) That's great. Your questions have answers. That's beautiful. Okay. I hope you have an answer to my next question, Um, which is what kind of tools or apps or programs do you use in your personal life or business that you're just like, I'm obsessed with this. Everyone Mm. needs to use it. Because as a logistics queen, I'm sure you have many. Um, so on the business side, ClickUp is huge. Um, that's what we use for our like project management system. And yeah, like OCD dream. It's amazing. And then I don't really use a lot of apps on the personal side. I've really tried to like actually like minimize a lot of of that. Are you like pen and paper kind of no, journal? No, I like okay. paperless life. Okay. <laughs> I'm so, like, do you use the notes app? <laughs> I drop things down in the notes app, but I try to like consolidate later. So like once mm-hmm. every however long I go through my notes app and like copy and paste everything to like where it should actually be living and then like delete them. I'm not a pen to paper person. I really, really have like wanted to be for a long time in my life. But like this is <laughs> this is a really good Same. like OCD example thing. So yeah. like yeah. my handwriting is not good. Mm-hmm. Um like I just kind of like yeah. bypassed that phase in school and we I learned how to type instead and whatever mm. um and so like I really really want to be someone who like keeps a beautiful bullet journal and like has this wonderful <laughs> handwriting and like has you know the notebook and all of this stuff and I'm like oh yes I love that and I can't do that and then I I try and I get really really frustrated that it doesn't look good and it like totally distracts me from like whatever I'm like writing down for whatever purpose I'm supposed to be writing it down for. So like not productive or helpful for me. I'm like, same, 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 same. Yeah. <laughs> I think the grass is greener. It's always greener though. Cause as somebody who is that person, then you just end up with like hundreds of journals, like some of them half filled all over the house. So <laughs> there's their pros and cons. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I would maybe say, okay, this is like maybe a little bit of a stretch, but when I like really need to focus, I will put on like a lo-fi or like white noise or um, something like that. So I have some some good Spotify playlists um, that I go back to like very, like multiple times a week. Same. I work very well with a certain like tempo of music. And I also have now realized that even if I just put my headphones on without music, it's like mentally I'm in the work Mm. zone. Love that. I might try that. Pia, outside of, you know, I know that you mentioned that you are taking medication now for, um, for OCD, but I'm curious, what does self-care look like for you with your diagnosis Mm. outside of medication? Oh, I love that. 
So I think on like a really like accessible fundamental level, it's like just indulging myself in like Mm. the things that I, you know, have like that compulsion around. So for example, you know, we're building out this coffee bus and we ordered all the big stuff and, you know, now we're ordering all the little stuff and there's like 18 million little things, right? (laughs) And oh, my poor team. I'm like... I'm like, okay, I want, you know, black milk pitchers, whatever. And then they come and I'm like, okay, but these aren't like black, black. I'm like, we have to return yeah. them. Like we we have to return them and get different ones. And luckily, um, you know, I'm pretty open with my team. And I also like took ownership of like, I know this is excessive. I know this is a lot. And thank you for returning them and getting the ones. Yeah. Um, so I think just like allowing myself to like ask for those things and mm. allowing it to it feels like an indulgence, right? Of like, I'm not going to suck it up, right? Like, it's so easy to return this Amazon package. I'm just going to get a different one and we'll have a replacement in two days. Um, So I think just really leaning into those things and doing it in a way that is hopefully, you know, authentic and um, a little bit self-deprecating, right? And like, Mm. and like humorous and like acknowledging of like, I know this is ridiculous and I'm asking you to do it anyways. Um, So that is, has been huge for my self-care and that's just like all day, every day, right? And just- just me making sure that there's like levity with it, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Levity and ownership, right? Of like, I know this is inconvenient for you. Mm-hmm. And, and we're here. I'm still, <laughs> and I'm still asking you to do it. Yeah. Um, I love it. So that's been huge. I love to see the ocean. So I try to walk outside every single day. I try to see the ocean a couple times a week. That's that's huge for me. And physical movement. So, you know, kind of at my like low, low, lowest bottom before my diagnosis, I had like totally abandoned going to the gym, which was something that, Mm. um, you know, I did five days a week for like eight straight years and something that I loved and like, you know, derived a lot of joy from. And I just like completely stopped and like couldn't get myself back in. Um, And I'm now like very much like back at the gym and um, it has... I've gotten back in shape and kind of gotten back over that hump and is now something that like brings me a lot of joy again. So that's been that's huge. Awesome. That's also inspiring because I feel like I'm in a similar boat where I'm like, I was being very consistent for a long time and then just fell off and went into a little bit of depression and haven't been able to get back on. But um, yeah. no, that's very inspiring and really helpful also to know. I think, again, this is kind of the second time you hit on this, but in a different way, which I think is so important um, because it speaks on how you navigate and how you engage like your relationship to OCD, that mm-hmm. it's not something that's like separate from you that you yeah. like, keep at arm's length. It's like bad. Yeah. No, no. It's something that you have embraced and you are building yeah. a relationship with that you are, you are actively engaged in mm-hmm. um, and that you are completely you take authority over you know so that it's not controlling you um I think that you know the idea of of leaning into those indulgences right is like it's so powerful it's such a way of saying I have this it doesn't have me and also like this is fun or like right like there are aspects of this I really can lean into and like other people don't get to like have these experience right like they don't know like that the difference between onyx black and charcoal Mm. black is going to be like (laughs) a huge you know like (laughs) I feel so seen oh my gosh and thank you for sharing because I as as I feel like I've discovered through this conversation, because I just didn't know this much about OCD, that I'm sure that there are a lot of people who will hear this who are probably experiencing symptoms and they're not aware. And I, I feel like they may recognize themselves in this. So again, thank you. I, I really appreciate your vulnerability in talking yeah. about this. It really means a lot. Really, Pia. Yeah. Thank, thank you. So you. Much, Pia. I feel so seen. There are so many different blacks. PSA. Um, yes. <laughs> 
Just in in the interest of, um, I think, just like extending um, some words to anyone who might be listening to this that is seeing themselves in in some of these things, either in like a very direct way or an indirect way, Mm. getting this diagnosis, getting on medication was like one of the best things that's that's ever happened to me. Mm. And there still, I think, is a lot of stigma around that. Yes. And my only regret is that I didn't do it 20 years ago. Wow. That's really helpful to hear because I I think there's so, so much stigma around so many diagnoses. One, but to your point, also medication and figuring out what that looks like for you. Mm-hmm. Thank Amazing. you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you, yeah. Pia. You're awesome. Thank you for your wonderful questions. I appreciate both yeah. of you so much. I think we're you. so happy to have you. This I think this conversation will be so helpful to our community in yeah. so many ways. How can people connect with you and work with Curate Wellco? We'll definitely link your incredible podcast. I listen to it. You have such great guests and I appreciate the diversity of like topics as well. It's really a wonderful lesson. So we'll link that. But how can people connect further with you and Curate Wellco? Yeah. So um, Instagram is a great place to find us and just kind of get, you know, the bird's eye view of what we're all about. Um, Our website has a ton of information on it. We try really hard to be as transparent as possible in terms of what our process looks like and pricing and all of that. So you can find us on Instagram at CurateWellCo, all one word. And then our uh, website is CurateWell.co. And then my team and I are actually launching our sister company in January which is totally unrelated. Um, It is a coffee truck. Oh, I saw that. I was wondering if that was like a thing of the past. I Yeah, that's so cool. It is a thing of the present and future. We're stoked. So that's called Considered. So you can also find us on Instagram at consideredsb.co. Amazing. Thanks, Awesome. Thank you, Pia. Bye, everyone. Bye. The Twelfth House is produced by yours truly, Wallace Miller Blanchard. Our theme music is made by Nathan McKay, and our wonderful editing is done by Softer Sound Studios, who you can find more information about in our show notes.